This is the MLW Radio Network. We are here. It is Friday night, my friend. It is the day after. Do you have a lot of good turkey there at the Ritzter? Oh, man. Turkey. We got the stuffing. Did you just say toiki? Toiki. Kind of sound like you said the toiki. Yeah. The toiki. The little stuffing. Yeah. You got the the scoop ski potatoes. Are those the little little, little thin ones that uh, the scallops? No, no, no. Scoopski. What do you mean the Scoopski? What are you talking Scoop? about that? Okay, if you're into practical jokers, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, are you talking about mashed potatoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little Scoopski yes, potatoes. mashed potatoes. You know? So uh, and, your... and, and... Well, Continue. And then you got the pie. What kind of pie you like? Well. This is we... a wrestling podcast. I'm quite sure I know how you're going to answer that. But well, well, what kind of edible pie do you like? I like I like me a little a little lemon meringue. Lemon meringue is good. I feel like lemon meringue is under uh, undervalued in the yes. pie world. Yes, and and then I got me my the pumpkin pie. You like the pumpkin? You like? The, did, you, did you do any pecan? No, no pecans. You don't do the pecan? No. See, I feel like the pecan is a jobber pie. I feel like the pecan pie is just like okay, the- I gotta. You look more like an apple pie guy. Like oh, I'm a, an apple pie like guy. A, like a warm apple pie? Yes, I am a warm apple pie. L- l- like an American pie? We Like the song? No, no. Like the movie. Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Who sings that? Is that Don? Uh... Don Henley. No, it is not Don Henley. Shut up. It is not Don Henley. It's it, like, uh, is that like Don McLean? Yeah. Say? Don, Don Henley, Henley. shut up. Don Henley, anyway. Shut up. Next thing you're going to be like, nah, I think that's Huey Lewis. All right. No, Let's no. get on with it. No one wants to hear us talk. My, they want to talk. They want to hear about the stars, not us. Well, well, we got a great star. He's been in the business, been in the indies for many years, but he's still the future of this business because, well, you can't be in the business for as long as he have and not have knowledge to pass on to the next generation. I agree. And, well, let's bring him in, Mr. Matt Turner. What's up, gentlemen? Happy holidays. How's everybody doing? We are good. We are doing very well. Hopefully you had a very nice holiday as well. Absolutely. It's always nice to be around family. And, by the way, Don Henley is uh, the guy from the Boys of Summer, and he was in the Eagles. So, See? Throwing that out there. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I just got burned real quick. Don Henley. Good grief. That's okay. That's okay. None of us are perfect. So, man, wrestling is is something that we talk about all the time. And you would think that we've, we've talked about everything there is to talk about wrestling. But what I love about what we do is we get to talk to new people each and every week. And we get to hear what their journey is, what their story is, and what got them to where they are right now. What are their aspirations? And where did they see themselves? So let me kind of take you through this here, Matt. Where did it all start? How did it all start? Uh, how did you originally fall in love with uh, with this thing that we are all obsessed with that is pro wrestling? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot. And my earliest memory was uh, watching a tape of WrestleMania three, maybe nice. a week or two, well, maybe, maybe only a week or two after it happened. Um, I remember I was every Sunday we would have family dinner over my grandparents' house, and one of my uncle's friends had the tape from WrestleMania three again, maybe about a week after it happened. And I remember I was watching a couple matches, waiting for Hulk and Andre. And the guy who had the tape, his wife came in the room and said, only one more match and then we have to go. And he looked at me and he said, well, I know you wanted to watch this. Did you want to watch Hulk and Andre or you want to watch the match that everyone's talking about, Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage? And I was like, you know, now I grew up the biggest Hulkamaniac. I'm like, no, I want to watch Hulk and Andre. And then fast forward a handful of years later, you realize that obviously Savage and Steamboat was the match that stole the show. But obviously I liked wrestling before that if I knew who Hulk and Andre was, but that was my earliest memory. Wow. So what would you say that, that kind of drew you in about it? I mean, Big Hulkamaniac, but was it, was it something specific about it, or was it just this larger-than-life humanistic superheroes? 
Well, it was, I think I always wanted to take it like to the next level. Like I would always watch it Saturdays and Sundays and then even Mondays before it was Monday Night Raw, it was primetime wrestling. Yep. Uh, my, my, I kind of had to deal with my parents. I had like a strict bedtime and whatnot. But if I had really good grades and did all my chores, I could stay up late on Mondays to watch primetime wrestling and then became Monday Night Raw. I grew up about 10 minutes outside Scranton. And once every two months, they would run the CYC in Scranton, which is actually Gorilla Monsoon's favorite all-time building to put Andal work shows in. And my dad would always take me like once every two months. So it was like I loved watching it and then watching it live. And then I would realize, well, now I need to take it another step further. And then I, I eventually wanted to – I grew up, I was kind of small. And I was like, well, maybe I could be a manager. And then, you know, the late 90s, those smaller guys were getting over. Your Shawn Michaels, your Bret Hart, your Rey Mysterios, Eddie Guerrero's, Chris Jericho's, yada, yada, yada. So I thought, well, maybe I can do this. And then when I was 17 years old, uh, junior in high school, my accounting teacher, who was uh, who is a fr- uh, friend of mine and a family friend of mine, was also the lifting coach. And I got hooked on weightlifting and pretty much 20 some odd years later, pretty much never stopped going to the gym and never stopped working out and staying in shape and just, just being obsessed with, uh, with just pro wrestling. So obviously that's the cosmetic part is, is a big part of that. But I realized I started putting on size and I realized, let me give this a shot and let me try to do this. Were there any other sports or anything you played growing up, maybe in high school, middle school, that type of thing? Were you always kind of athletically inclined? Yeah, um, I wasn't a good athlete by any means, but I did play uh, baseball all the way up until I got into high school, football all the way up until high school. I wasn't really good at it, but I was really good at taking a beating. Uh, for example, in Little League, I set the uh, the county record for most hits by a pitch in a season, and a oh. lot of it was a lot of it was, hey, you know, lean into it. You know, hey, the coach would tell me to lean into it to take one for the team to get on base. And the same thing when I was playing football. Again, I grew up. I was. Uh, in high school, I was—I think when I graduated high school, I was about 110, maybe 115 pounds, soaking wet, holding the brick. But I remember we'd be playing football teams, and the coach would be like, "Well, run into the, run into." I would be on defense as a safety or cornerback, and they would have me. You know, back then in the 90s, it wasn't all all this passing; it was a lot of running. So they would have me purposely run into the fullback, so this way he didn't have a blocker. So I would constantly get hit and oh. get knocked on my ass. So then this way I would take away the blocker. So it kind of made sense. Well. Geez, he's really good at getting his ass kicked. Why not take some buns? I, you know, I guess, I guess I didn't know back then. I was kind of preparing myself for, for you know, kind of a career of an independent wrestler. You know, because that's what we do. We kind of, you know, take our take our lumps and take our buns and get our get our asses kicked. You were taking bumps your whole life before you even <laughs> stepped into wrestling. Yeah, right. What else could I be, right? Oh my gosh. So you decide, obviously, that there's this love of wrestling and it's never really gone away. And it's interesting because, you know, your parents and family, whenever they hear you want to get involved in wrestling, uh, it's always like, okay, okay, I'm sure you do. But then for the people that we talk to, it never really goes away. It's always there. Um, Was this something that you went to college or did you decide, you know what, I'm going to go straight into it after high school? Uh, no, I, I did both. I did both. I just basically just did college to appease my parents. Cause they're like, well, what if this doesn't work out? Or if you can, you know, you need a second income and you know, it's, it, and as usual, my dad, 99.999% of the time is right. He's really never gave me bad advice. I'm very lucky that I've had fantastic parents. So I was able to do both. You know, I went to uh, one wrestling, I actually graduated from two wrestling schools. I went to, uh, before CM Punk and Ring of Honor, which I'm sure we'll get there, I actually went to uh, Backbreakers Wrestling School, which was only maybe about 10 minutes away from my house. So, uh, but even before that, yeah, even before that, I'm getting ahead of myself. Of course, everybody before they start pro wrestling, you know, everybody in the 90s, even now, they they do the backyard stuff. So, um, again, I was taking bumps on the ground (laughs) before I even got into a, a, a pro wrestling ring. Wow. So when you finally decide, you know, pro wrestling is something obviously I'm going to seek out, did you really have any idea of even where to even start looking or was it something that you talked to somebody about or how did that kind of, that, that beginning part of it kind of start up? You know, I don't, I remember going to an independent wrestling show. I saw flyers up there, an independent wrestling show in uh, the firehouse and music. I grew up, like I said, right outside Scranton, small town called Old Forge. And I decided to go to the show and I realized, you know, I'm a lot you know, I'm in better shape than these guys. 
um, I kind of understand, you know, a little bit of the business or how to build a match, or at least I thought back then uh, better than these guys. And then they said they were opening up a school in the same building. So I figured, well, geez, this is perfect. This is literally five, 10 minutes away from my house. I can do a wrestling school and go to college and do my regular job. So this way it appeases everybody. So I was kind of lucky that that was literally, you know, five minutes away from my house. Wow. So when you first get into training with, with your first wrestling school, was it kind of a surprise to you as far as what they were looking for, as far as the conditioning, as far as physical, physically what was going to be happening? Or were you like, you know what, I actually, I've already been involved in athletics for my entire life. I'm already used to the bumps, the bruises, really hard hitting stuff. I think I can handle this pretty well. The cardio is completely different. I mean, again, I've done athletics my whole life. And you can run on the treadmill all you want. You can, you know, do all the box jumps you want. You can run around the football stadium all you want. Suicides all you want. The wrestling is completely different. The best way to get in shape for wrestling is to constantly do it. To either be at training or in a match because, you know, your heart rate goes up, down, up, down. It all depends on the spots. You know, you may be doing chain wrestling. We can breathe a little. Then you may do a high spot. You may do something outside. You may run a whole couple other spots. Then if you're in a tag team or a six man, that could be something else. You know, you're tagging in and out, getting your heart rate up, heart rate back down, getting your wind up, your wind down. Um, sometimes you have to slow things up, speed things up. Sometimes you don't know where the crowd is. And that's just the magic because you really don't know what's going to happen. Even though if you may plan something out A to Z, you may switch something. So that was the biggest thing that took the surprise for me. It was just how insane the uh, the cardio and conditioning was. Who were some of the people that when you first started training, um, did you did you start to develop some relationships with these people? Is there anybody that you still stay in contact with or that you kind of came across paths again down the road? Oh, yeah. Obviously, one of my best friends in uh, in the business is uh, Brad DeMeo. I mean, I've known him since we were in the backyard. Uh, he broke in maybe about a year before or two before I did. And then him and his uh, tag team partner at the time, uh, Joey DeVino, they were the hardcore mafia. We would do a lot of the early road trips together. And then uh, another buddy of mine that uh, helped teach me a lot of things along the way is uh, Draven Blaze, who I still talk to. I think I just talked to him maybe about a week or so ago. So I, I try to keep him. I don't burn any bridges. I'm the easiest going guy. I, I try to, you know, keep in contact with as, as much, many people as, as I possibly can. Yeah. I, I actually know Draven, uh, him and I go way back for like 2012. He's a great, great guy. And, you know, pretty straightforward. Good. Good yeah. Great dude. Always sings, you know, high praises of me. Uh, you know, as you know, he just moved down to Florida a handful of months ago. So, Hey, you know, he seems like he's, uh, he's doing really well down there. And uh, I keep telling him, hey, man, it's getting cold up over here in Pennsylvania. Get me booked down there, you know. <laughs> you know, let's get, get, me, get, get, me, get me a plane flight, get me booked down there, get out of the cold weather for a little bit. So fingers crossed and see what happens. So obviously when you get done with that, um, what's your thoughts at that point? I mean, I, I've trained to be a wrestler. I've been a fan of it my entire life. Are you thinking at what point, maybe I should say, maybe I should rephrase this, that you started to feel really comfortable? And I know a lot of wrestlers, even even when we talk to Jerry Lynn, he even says, I never ever really quite felt comfortable. And I feel like a, a common thread between wrestlers is, A, they're all always hard on themselves. B, they may or may not ever watch their matches back. It's either they do or they don't. It's never kind of in between. Um, did you ever feel like you were really kind of getting into your groove? And if so, when did that really start to happen after you were uh, starting to train? Yeah, I think Jerry hits it right on the head. You're comfortable. You're confident, but not 100% comfortable because, again, you don't know what's going to happen out there. Um, I remember when I uh, my first real kind of big indie matches a handful of years ago, I wrestled I about 15, 20 years ago. I wrestled uh, Christopher Daniels, and he was telling me, he's like, there's three things that happens. You can have a good match. One, nobody gets hurt. Two, the promoter liked it. And three, the fans liked it in that order. So if you can if you can accomplish those three things then that's how you've known you've had a good match. And that makes sense. You always want to make sure you're taking care of yourself and take care of opponents. And my style is very, as you guys know, it's very hard hitting. You know, it's very, you know, all Japan style. Obviously, I was trained in, the, you know, the Ring of Honor Dojo. I spent some time at the New Japan Dojo. So my, I like to have my wrestling to have very little holes in it. But I also want to make sure I'm taking care of my opponents and they're taking care of me as well. And again, you also, you know, want to make sure that the boss, the boss is happy. And you have two bosses out there, one, the promoter, and two, the fans. So, um, so yeah, to kind of, you know, tie in your question there, 
you're always confident. There's sometimes like, you know, when I'm in gorilla position and I'm super nervous, but this maybe the past two or three years, I've been nervous, but I've been super comfortable because I'm super confident in what I can do. I know that if something doesn't work out, I can kind of maybe slow it down and kind of just redirect to see what the fans are thinking. But you're never 100% confident, and that's just that's the beauty of it. That's part of the magic that's pro wrestling. You know, you had mentioned Christopher Daniels, and, and obviously you've been around a long time. You've seen a ton of things. Your experience is, is a wealth of knowledge. Early on, do you remember any conversations you had with people or maybe anybody in particular that really kind of took a liking to you and, and pulled you aside and said – some words of encouragement or words of wisdom early on to you to say, Hey, you know what? I like what you're doing. Keep what you're doing. Um, try this, try that. Was there any of those, you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to call them hallmark moments, but a moment when somebody actually went ahead and took time to talk to you about how you were there's, doing. You know, it's funny you say that because there's actually a couple, but how I came across my first furniture I ever used was the Fujiwara arm bar. I was taught to me in the Ring of Honor Dojo by Samoa Joe, but I just wasn't sure how to transition into it. So I was working a match. I forget who was it. I know P.D. Williams was in the match because Alex Shelley was doing commentary. And this is IWA Mid-South. The match got over with, and Alex Shelley came over to me, and he said, and it's funny because I was just on a show with Alex Shelley maybe less than a month ago, and we were talking about it, and we were, we were laughing. So uh, he said he, he liked the way how I do the Fujiwara armbar, but if I can do it, a single-arm DDT, hold onto the wrist and float over into the Fujiwara armbar. And I still use it from time to time to, uh, today. So, um, you know, that always helped. Jim Cornette, it was when I had my first Ring of Honor match, uh, we cut the curtain. He was the first person there. It was the Midnight Express reunion. So it was Cornette, Eaton, Lane, wow. and Condry. They, yeah, it was literally, as soon as we cut there, they all shook, you know, my hand and Cornette said, uh, Goddamn kid, he's like, if, you're, uh, if your offense is as good as your defense, you're going to do really well in this business. And what he meant was, because we just went out there in a tag match and just got me and Shane Hagedorn got squashed by the Carnage crew. So it's like, well, if I'm just going to get squashed, I'm going to be the best seller out there. So what he meant was, eventually when I get some offense, if it can look as good as my selling or getting my ass kicked, that I think I'm going to do pretty well in this business. So uh, those were always encouragement. Uh, CM Punk was always great, um, even when he... He left um, and he went to OVW and WWF or WWE. He was, I, I kept in contact with him uh, from time to time. You know, he, I have nothing but great things to say about him. I'm, you know, very lucky. Uh, after he, he left, I remember we would do Ring of Honor dark matches and we'd cut the curtain and Matt Seidel and Roderick Strong, Chris Hero, Claudio Casanoli, who's all Cesaro. They would always take the time to sit down with you and pick apart your matches and give you, and not browbeat you, not tell you, well, this sucked, you know, or, you know, quit the business, kid, burn your boots. But they they would never say anything like that. They were always just super positive. So I'm very lucky that I've had a lot of really, really good uh, people from the past, present, and future, you know, give me some encouragement and give me some advice that to this day I, I teach to uh, the young kids coming up, young, you know, young guys and gals coming up. And, you know, hopefully whatever I say works. It's so interesting that we talk about that because, you know, there's some people who've had, we've talked to some really difficult times uh, in the beginning, but I think the majority of people, much like yourself, have always said, I was really lucky. I had a lot of people who genuinely cared about my progress and they would talk to me and they realized how passionate I was about that. And I think that's something that people pick up pretty quickly about someone, especially in this industry. If you're serious, if you're genuinely in it because you want to be in it and not just, hey, look at me, you know, I got this great body and, and I'm going to be a flash in the pan. But when you see stuff like that, people can generally find the good ones. And I think that's so awesome that these people saw something in you so early on and they gave you so many things to think about. Um, I'm sure those conversations were just mind-blowing because you have so many people in here around you who have done so many great things and now you're able to absorb that you know it blows my mind you look back on it and i talk to uh shane Hagedorn all the time you know he's a producer for AEW. god bless him he's doing well but it's just like you just look at like what we had in front of us and we never realized it like you're literally training two to three times a week with cm punk and whenever they would do shows on the east coast samoa joe would stay over punk's house and then he would train with us as well so it's like you had punk joe and then once uh punk got signed you know brian danielson comes in and it's just like you have that and then when he came in he was feuding with kenta and we did a seminar with brian danielson and kenta 
it's just like, and then Austin Aries was there. And then again, you have a locker room of, you know, homicide again, you'd hero, uh, Cesaro, Roderick Strong. I mean, it goes Matt Seidel, the list goes on and on. You have Mayor Fuji, you know, there's, there's shows that you're, that, you know, Kenta Kabashi's there, Masawa's there. It's just like, 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 like that was just like a normal day for us. And you look back on it now, you know, 15, 16, 17 years later, like, holy geez, like punk's coming back, you know, it's the biggest thing in wrestling in the last five years. And, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I talk to people all the time that it's like, oh yeah, Daniel Bryan's my favorite wrestler. And I'm like, oh, what's your favorite Ring of Honor match of his? And people are like, I've never seen him in Ring of Honor. I'm like, then you've never really seen the true, you know, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. And now it's yes. like they see him in AEW and it's like, you know, and don't get me wrong, his stuff in WWE is great, but that's only him at like 80%, which is still better than 99% of the workers out there. And now you're getting to see the true American dragon, like the matches that he's having. It's just like, you know, that guy's back there and it's all guys that were so approachable. I mean, nobody, I, I'd never been in a locker room before where even, like I said, the legends, like, you know, I'm, I was on a show with Dusty Rhodes. I had to go, I had to follow Dusty Rhodes after a match and he was the coolest guy, like just the coolest guy. Like, I remember, you know, I'm maybe getting off track, but I'll tell the story because it's, it's an interesting story. We're sitting there. It's a tag match with all the Ring of Honor students. We're maybe, I mean, I started a year and a half before those guys did because I went to another training school. But we're basically guys having our 15th, 16th, 17th match. And we're in Gorilla, like calling the match back. And Dusty Rhodes is out there. And you just hear the crowd going crazy. Dusty comes back covered in blood. And he goes, I'm not going to do my Dusty Rhodes impersonation because it's terrible but he goes all right what match is next and i raised my hand i said our match is next and he goes baby the dream just sets the table he goes make sure you take them out for dinner i was like how are we gonna follow that yeah wow <laughs> i think we we're like five yeah i think we we're supposed to go eight nine minutes we were like five minutes and nobody cared and i said like, just take it home <laughs> <laughs> wow i mean when you think about that once again not to get off topic here but since we're talking about ring of honor and everything that's happened with Ring of Honor recently and how painful that is. I mean, obviously you being there, being a part of just the in incremental years of Ring of Honor and being right there during the heart of it, which I think any wrestler would have just died to be a part of it at that time. How did you feel when you heard that Ring of Honor was going to um, temporarily cease operations and kind of restructure the company? Yeah, see, well... Everybody kind of freaked out. And at first I was like, well, okay, they're, they haven't run many shows in the last year and a half because of COVID. And they're kind of all in the bubble anyway. So it's like, okay, well, they're going to run Final Battle, which is their big, you know, Super Bowl WrestleMania show. And then they're going to take four months off and they're going to redo their thing starting Super Card of Honor, which they'll probably do WrestleMania weekend. That's where all the big shots. So to my thing, it was just like, okay, that's what they're doing. And then everybody starts texting me and I are DMing me and whatever. And like, oh, Ring of Honor's dead. Ring of Honor's dead. And I was like, well, no, they're, they're just taking four months off to kind of, you know, re-intervene. And then you find out they're re releasing everybody from their contracts. And then I think from what they're going to do is they're going to basically run Ring of Honor like a super indie, kind of like how they did when they first started. Uh, kind of like how PWG's been doing for the last, you know, 15, 16 years or what yep. have you. So. You know, God bless them. I, I got a good buddy of mine down there, uh, Tony Deppin, who's been absolutely crushing it. They won their TV title. Um, you know, I, I've been in, I watched him, you know, come through, come through the ladder of the indies. He worked all the, the smaller indies as I did. And he just, I'm so proud of him, so happy for him. He just, he's just gone by everybody I know. I'm like, that guy can go anywhere and do anything. So like my heart like went out, out to him, especially because, because like I said, I've seen him, you know, come along, you know, a long way pretty fast. But, you know, he's a guy that I know stay on his feet and uh, he'll get on his feet. And I think everybody else will. So I think everybody just has to stay tuned to see what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think Ring of Honor, I think they're still going to be around, but it's just going to be a different Ring of Honor. But it's been a different Ring of Honor for the past, you know, 10 years or so. So it's just just like everything in life and everything in this business just evolved. So I mean, I hope they keep going for obvious reasons. You know, it's just. You know, I'm part of the first ever graduating class from Ring of Honor. Regardless of what happens, nobody can ever take that away from me. And I, I'm very proud and uh, honored, pun intended, to, uh, you know, I'm actually the last one of the, for, of the first class that's actually still actively, uh, actively out there, still doing it. Wow. That is Man, crazy. The, the only thing that I can't picture anywhere is the Briscoes wrestling anywhere else because they they lived and died with ROH. They were the first official match with Jay and uh, Jane Amazing Red, or was it Jane Spanky? 
I'm getting that confused now. But yeah, I mean, they've been there since day one. I mean, Mark wasn't old enough to wrestle in Pennsylvania when they first when they first started in 2002. Wow. Yeah. So, so much history there. So much history there. It's crazy. Um. So I mean, obviously, we look at your career, and you, you talked about your time in IWA Mid South. Um. You also spent some time in groundbreaking wrestling. What was groundbreaking yeah, I I wrestling? What was that like? Because I don't hear a whole lot about that. I mean, I know obviously it was well a while ago, but any experiences there? Uh, I wrestled. I wrestled there a couple times. Not much. Um, I had a few matches there. I wrestled a guy who passed on since uh, JT Roberts. Uh, good guy, great dude, great wrestler. He actually had a brilliant idea. I think we were wrestling for their their um, almost like their secondary championship, like their intercontinental championship. I forget what it's called. But he wanted to do something. I was obviously came in there to, to put him over, but he wanted to make me look good as well. So we did a finish that I've never, it was his idea, I've never seen of. And it was actually brilliant where I put him in my, uh, a cross face and I had him like in a cross face choke. And the referee would drop his hand three times. Well, on the third one, his hand would go down, but it would hit the rope. So I thought he was passed out. But it breaks, as you know, you hit the rope, it breaks the thing. And I was uh, like, that's brilliant. Yeah, so that's again, smart. Back, I think I, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that was brilliant. So that was that was his idea. And then I remember like me and the ref were playing tug of war with the title because I thought I won. And then I turned around and he hit me with his finish, which I think was the super kick. But yeah, I wrestled there a couple of times. Uh, good, good atmosphere, good locker room. Um, like I said, my favorite match there was against uh, was against Justin, who uh, he, he passed away um, maybe about nine or ten years ago. So uh, nothing but really, you know, good things to say about him. Now, obviously, you've had an extensive amount of time you spent in IWA Mid-South. Um, what was was your experiences like down there? Because I know, obviously, it's a little bit different of a style. Um, what was it like working down there? Rit and I have talked about this before. Rit, you had some people that have come through your promotion who worked down uh, in IWA Mid-South. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I actually took out uh, 2011. IWA uh, Queen of the Deathmatch champion Rebecca Payne uh, drove her out there and stuff. And just being able to sit, you know, and had no idea who I was, but he sat there and talked to me and, and gave me advice and said, hey, any, you can ask anybody anything you want. And, you know, I, I thought he, he he's, a, he's a great dude and, you know, took time when he didn't have to. What was your take on IWA Mid-South? I mean, there was a lot of different things that you did. You're part of a three-way dance, which I thought was a great match. So what was what was your takeaway from there? I, IWA Mid-South was great. Just the only thing is um, none of the really none of the fans really under understood how great they had it there. I remember our first uh, day there, we did a four-shot. And you're in a locker room. I think it was like a Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You're in a locker room, and it's like, Okay, you have the Ring of Honor students. You have Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, Roderick Strong, PD Williams, CM Punk, Super Dragon, Chris Hero, Claudio Castagnoli, Cesaro, and there's 20 people out in the crowd. And you're like, well, we know who's not getting paid for this show. You know, <laughs> they're, they're not going to step AJ Styles, I think was the NWA world champion at the time. And it was just, would go to these shows and just these loaded locker rooms, and there was like nobody there. Uh, up until you get to like Highland, Indiana, and then they, you know they would pack that place, you know, you know, 100, 150 or whatever. But you go to some of these 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 shows in the middle of nowhere, just like, wow, this is an awesome card to be on, and this is going to be look really good on tape with Smart Mark Video. Shout out to those guys; those guys are awesome when they release it because you're going to be on this this car with all these people. But at the same time, it's like, man, there's 30 people in the crowd, you know. Again, you have CM Punk, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Roderick Strong, so. But it was, again, all good experience because, again, you're in the locker room with literally the best of the best of the best. And look what all those guys, you know, are still doing or in, in what they become. So IWM in South was a, was a fun place to work, a fun place to wrestle, and a fun place to learn, which is what it's all about. Let me kind of piggyback on that one there. So we've talked to different people, and some have said it's difficult. Some have said, you know what, after a certain amount of time, you just get into a rhythm. Is it difficult to get that energy level, to get the excitement going when there's only 20 or 30 people in there? Or is it just a mentality that you're trained with, that you know what, it's go time, no matter if there's five people in there, we're going to go at it. We're going to do everything we would do if there was 100,000 people here. 
it's very easy to say, well, there's only 20 people out there. And, you know, the show I worked last week had 200. It's very easy to say, well, we kind of just take it easy. We're kind of do this. We're kind of do that. My mentality is if I'm coming back, um, which I bet, you know, if I'm going to come back to this, this promotion the next month and there's 20 people, I want all those 20 people to go home to tell two or three of their friends saying, oh, man, you had to see what Matt Turner did. You had to see what this guy did. You know, there was only... 20 of us in the crowd, but he did this, he did that, and he put his time in. So if those 20 people go out there and tell two or three people and then say there's 40 or 50 next time, and then I go out there even harder, and there's 100 and 125, you know. So that's almost a point of pride with me where it's just like, no, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give those people, regardless whether they're, you know, 20 people or 200, they all paid, you know, their 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars. And they're trying to kind of escape, you know, I mean, wrestling, movies, music, it's all an escape from, from real life because life can be difficult. Life can be hard. You know, life can, can kick our ass. So it's like I'm not going to go out there and cheat those people out of their hard money if they paid to see me and if I'm going to be out there. Not only that, but it's all, it is a point of pride for me where it's like I need to know that when I cut that curtain that I busted my ass out there, that I had an awesome match and uh, it's, you know, to a point where it's just like, you don't know who's going to see that match. You don't know even now. You don't know if a, if a Cody Rhodes, if a Matt and Nick Jackson are going to see it, if CM Punk are, you know, pick that up. I'm like, oh, that's the kid I trained. You don't know who's going to. You don't know if, you know, anybody from New Japan's going to see it, all Japan's going to see it. You never know, especially we live in such a small world now. You literally can upload the match, right? I mean, not even upload. You can live stream it right to Facebook. So by the time your match is done, you may have only had 20 people in the crowd there, but there might have been 2,000. 100,000, yep. Internet. Yep. It can go viral in a heartbeat. You have your own, literally with your cell phone, you have your own network. You have your own yep, network right, right there, there that you, you literally can determine everything. And like you said before, at the end of the night, no matter what the audience was there, people could be watching it at any point in time in any part of the world, literally. And they can be watching you, promoters, and then all of a sudden it gets tagged or it gets shared or somebody tweets about something like that. All of a sudden it goes viral. They tag a few other people. It gets likes. And it's it's so crazy that we live in this digital world right now where literally is the best time to be in wrestling because like you said before, every single match can be seen by anyone at any time as long as there's a signal they can be watching pro wrestling from literally any promotion. Yeah, it's so funny. Again, I, my favorite era of wrestling is all Japan from the 90s. And I remember just you'd hear about this awesome match that like Masao or Kawad or Kabashi had. And you're like tape trading with people and you're waiting like, you know, from Japan. You're waiting four, five, six weeks for. And now it's just like, I remember watching the Omega Okada 2 match. Literally, I, I had a show that Saturday night that happens it would be Sunday morning. And I remember just in, in my, I stayed at my parents' house because the show was parents. Living. I remember on my watching Omega Okada 2 on my phone in my old bedroom in Old Forge, Pennsylvania, thinking, man, we came a long way from when I was bootlegging tapes from people in Japan. So I could watch Misawa and Kabashi. Like it's just, cra it's, you know, I remember, you know, when I first broke in, my first five, six years sending tapes and resumes out. Now it's like I get asked all the time for people to critique. Hey, you know, can you critique my match? And I'm like, yeah, send me a, a DVD or whatever. Like, oh, I, I just have this link right here. Just click on it. Right? I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. Like, it's just crazy. If you want to send stuff out, it's 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 all right there, and it makes things so much easier. You had talked about your influence as far as your style and your repertoire being more along the lines of a strong style, um, and obviously there is a lot of that um, in Japanese wrestling. What was the precursor to that? Meaning. Who kind of introduced you to that type of style? Was it your first trainer or was it just something where you started training and you were like, you know what? I really like it if we take it to the next level. And that just kind of evolved into I'm working strong style. Or was that something that was specifically indoctrinated into you when you were training? Yeah, no, sure. Um, I think the first two wrestlers that I saw that, you know, did the Japanese style would be Muda and Liger just because WCW, NWA, you had, you know, you, you had that. But really the guy that really bridged it for me would be Hayabusa just because I would go, ECW is very big, you know, it, over here in the Northeast in Pennsylvania. So you, I would go to a lot of ECW shows 
and they would sell the bootleg Japanese wrestling tapes. And you mm-hmm. would hear about FMW. There was basically like ECW over in Japan, and Hayabusa was the guy. And I remember like a lot of people were telling me, oh, Hayabusa is just Sabu in a mask. I'm like, no, nah, the scars are a little different. But then you get like these best of Japan from the 90s tapes. I'm like, okay, I've seen that Liger guy. I've seen the Muda guy. I've seen the Chono guy. I'm like, okay, there's Hayabusa. And then you go to the all Japan, you know, you get these tapes that are four or five, six hours, and you get to the all Japan stuff. And it's just like, who's this Masawa guy, and Kobashi guy, and Kawada, and Tawe, and the Holy Demon Army? I'm like, okay, I know Stan Hansen. I'm like, oh, there's Vader. Wow, his matches are way better over in Japan than they are over in the States. And it just blew my mind because it's literally, there's no holes in it. It's just like, that's what I like to wrestle is I don't want anybody to see any holes. Like, if you go to a magic show, you don't want to know the secrets. If you're going to go see, you know, I'm a big comic book fan. The new Spider-Man movie is coming out. I don't want to see the green scheme. Uh, you know, I, you know, give me the effects. Give me this, you know. Let me, you know, indulge myself in that world for two or three hours. I don't want to see any holes. And that's when I do my wrestling or even when I, you know, teach wrestling from time to time. I always tell people, don't put any holes in. Don't let them see the magic tricks. Don't let them heckle you. Don't let them find something, you know, quote unquote, phony about it. Make your stuff look as real as possible. So this way, when they go home, they can say, well, this guy did this, this guy did that, this guy did that. But man, let me tell you, Matt Turner, he put a wrist lock on or he threw a headlock on or a forearm or a kick. And he looked like he destroyed that guy. I'm not the most athletic guy in the world. I'm not the most flashy, but I make my stuff look legit. Speaking of fans, let me ask you this. This is something I always love to ask people. When it comes to fan interactions, obviously over the last nearly 20 years, I'm sure you had a lot. Any interesting stories about fan interactions, positive or negative? That was that question you broke about fan interaction? Yeah, I mean, obviously you've, you've done this for nearly 20 years. Any fan interactions, either positive fan interactions, negative fan interactions, somebody screaming at you, whatever it may be. No, I man, I love the fans, man. I love the fans. It's it's it, you know, keeps me coming back. Any little I get I get motivated over the littlest thing. I'll get a tweet or a DM or something just saying, "Hey man, I really liked your match or hey, you know, I like your new gear." Just anything like that just gives me so much motivation to keep going. Um, even like when I'm at the merch table, somebody come over. And I always say I'll never charge for autographs. I'll never charge for pictures. Uh, you know, Anything that you want, I'll sign. I'll take pictures with you all day, every day. I won't charge a dime. Just the fact that somebody's giving you their time. Because you can always make the 20, you know, it, I lost 20 bucks. You can always make the $20 somewhere up or whatever. You can never get the time back. You can never get the, get the time back. Like this. 40 minutes that we're together, we can't get time back. Time is the most valuable thing that we have. You guys have a DeLorean, but you know, or a phone booth from Bill and Ted to go back in time, but we can never, we can never get that time back. So when the fans give you their time, or if they take two seconds just to say something positive about you or to come over to take a picture, or they're going to spend 20 minutes to watch your match to give you a comment on it, there's there's nothing better in the world, man. Nothing better in the world. It oh. seems oh, I'm sorry, continue, Rick. Oh. No, no, no. I was going to say, you talked about the DeLorean and the phone booth. Just remember that a little bit later when we got ourselves a little hot tub oh, time machine. Oh, 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 you're going to like this one. Um, I do want to get into your time in Shikara as well because I'm very fascinated with that. Um, I was interested in Shikara a lot, and obviously now that um, it's kind of morphed itself, now we have what we have is Camp Leapfrog. Um, what did you think about Shikara, and I guess maybe I should phrase my question like this. Shikara is unique. It is very unique, and it is a very different type of wrestling. So tell me what your thought was once you were in Shikara, and what were your experiences? I love Shikara, and I teamed with Anthony Franco there. We did some single stuff, but mostly I teamed with uh, uh, Anthony Franco, who I graduated the Ring of Honor Jojo with. But we stuck out in Shikara because we were wrestlers. And we were, we were right out of the dojo. We wore nothing but black, just like how the New Japan students do or any old. That was, and that's what Punk wanted. He said, you guys wear nothing but black until you earn your colors. So we would just go there. We didn't have a gimmick, you know. And the words of the Von Erichs, hey, we had no gimmick. And back, you know, when everybody else is doing gimmicks, that's a heck of a gimmick. I mean, you know, back in the 80s, gimmicks were popular. The, the Von Erichs were the Von Erichs. And for the Ring of Honor students where you had, you know, this guy dressing up as a pirate, this guy dressing up as a construction worker, this guy doing this gift. 
Smith, this guy, one guy's a bear. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the wrestling's great because it's all variety. So it's like, what makes you stand out? Hey, I'm a wrestler. Okay. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time is Katsuri Shibata. What's his thing? He's the wrestler. He comes out, black black knee pads, black chunks, black kick pads. He goes out there. He kicks kicks your ass. You kick his ass. That That's wrestling, man. That's what's wrestling. But I love Takar because you had – and you had great teachers there. Hero, Quack. Uh, I mean, it was, that's where I first met Larry Sweeney. Boy, you want to talk about somebody completely ahead of his time. Completely ahead of his time. He was still here today. He'd be a millionaire two or three times over. I mean, he was just so far ahead of his time and just such a great guy. Such a great guy. But Chikara, uh, uh, you know, Jigsaw, Hollow Wicked, all those guys, uh, Chain Storm, uh, Vin Gerard, all those guys were just, you know, great to be around, uh, great to work. Eddie Kingston, obviously, look what he's morphing to. He was always an absolute riot in the locker room. What you see is what you get with him. And that's why he's as over as much as he is because. He hasn't changed a bit. I and mean, the only thing he's changed is he's constantly getting better in the ring. But just, a, you know, a fun locker room uh, to, to be around. We've kind of gone past this a little bit, so I want to take a step backwards. We're kind of right now, if you're joining us, uh, we're, we're going into this this deep dive here because I'm so excited to go over all these different things that, that Matt, you've done. Because you worked, like I said, Ring of Honor. We talked about Shikara. We actually have a little time where we spent some time in CZW and you work with Chris Hero again, CZW. It's a little different once again. And, and I think it, the, the theme of all of this is every promotion seems to offer something a little different. And you've worked with Chris before you're in CZW. Now, what was your thoughts with CZW and um, what was it like at that time? That was one of the very few matches that I did that I was a full-blown heel. And the reason why is we were doing the Ring of Honor CCW feud, which was, and we could do a two-hour podcast just on that. I mean, that was absolutely insane. That was genius booking by everybody involved, especially Gabe. But what they wanted to do was, I think Derek Sabata was booking at the time, is he wanted to uh, have us come in through the front door with tickets. It was me, Shane Hagedorn, and Pelly Primo. And Chris Hero was going to come out. I think it was the second or third segment. He was going to call us out. We were, they said they want us to come in, heckle, heckle the fans, heckle everything in the ring. Hero was going to come out, call us out. We were on street clothes, and we were going to have a three-on-one match. And uh, Hero basically eliminated Hagedorn, eliminated Pelly, and then eliminated me. Now, at that time, I was not obvious, I was doing some uh, training in Chikara as well. Obviously, I graduated from Ring of Honor, but from time to time, I would go to Chikara to work out because you had Hero there. You had uh, Quack. You had Claudio. You had uh, Jorge Rivera Skyda, who would do seminars there, who was the head trainer of the Torimon Dojo, Ultimo Dragons Gym. Um, I think I actually had a big hand in training Okada. Um, but anywho, so Hero had a lot of uh, respect for me, as I did him for obvious reasons. But I remember we were putting together that match, and at the time, Hero was very big on doing the cravat. And he had this spot where he's going to keep bumping us. Now, we're in the ECW arena where CCW was running every month, you know, once a month for four or five yep. years. So he was doing the spot where he's bumping us, and then he was going to fire out. When he's turned around, I was going to put him in the cravat. And I'm like, wow, he's going to give me that? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's going to be fine. So I just remember kind of just because it's a bloodthirsty crowd, CCW, it's ultra-violent, you know, wrestling, which isn't my forte at all. I have nothing against it, just not, not my forte at all. So I don't know what the fans are going to do. So the big feud was it was um, it was obviously CZW versus Ring of Honor, and the three Ring of Honor guys holding the banner was Samoa Joe, BJ Whitmer, and Adam Pierce. So Hero wanted to eliminate each one with their finishers. So he think he eliminated Pelly with the pile driver, which is Pierce's finisher. He eliminated Hagedorn with the no, he eliminated Hagedorn with the pile driver, which is Pierce's finisher. Um, Pelly with the uh, with the exploder, which is Whitmer's finisher, and then he was going to eliminate me with the muscle buster and the choke, which is Joe's finisher. So I mean, we have the crowd rocking. We, we you know went nine ten minutes whatever, and he's given me a lot. I mean, I, I have nothing but great things to say about Hero. I mean, one of the people I've learned the most from, and just an absolute you know gem in this business. And I remember he gave me the muscle buster and he put me in the choke and he said, don't tap until I tell you. That's another thing I learned is you have to wait till you hear the crowd at the right time. He's like, okay, the time is right. Tap. So tap them out or he tapped me out. And then what they did is they had the security would take you and literally throw you out the front door. 
But I remember now I'm supposed to be choked out. So I'm selling it like I'm out. And he grabs, uh, the security grabs me. They go to throw him at the front door where the fans grab me. And I, I'm almost like body suffering. I'm thinking, I'm going to get stabbed. And thank God I did. They threw me out the front door. We went in the back, made sure everybody was okay. And then we got the heck out of there. But, I mean, it was, yeah, it was awesome because you're working with, you know, in my opinion, the best wrestler, wrestler, you know, in CZW history because he's, a, you know, he's a wrestler, Chris Hero, you know, and yes. again, it, it, just awesome. And I, and that's something I use today. I actually use the, the choke as one of my finishers, I, and I use the Fujiwara armbar. I use a lot of different submissions, uh, at double wrist lock. Those are my three go-tos. And the person, when we're, you know, we're putting the match together, like, when do I tap? Like, I'll, I'll tell you. You don't tap until I tell you because of what I learned from Hero when he put me in the choke. He said, don't tap until I tell you, until you hear that crowd hit right to the right point. And then that's when, uh, okay, that's when you tap. And then that's when, you know, the crowd explodes. That It's so crazy how just you get these educational moments and that will be forever etched in your brain. You know what I mean? Like that's a moment that you just will forever remember how cool somebody was, how much of a professional they were, and how much you learned from that moment. Yeah, I mean that the, you know, obviously the hero one I just said, the Shelly one before, and so many, so many with Punk, so so many, so many with uh, with Danielson, uh, Kenta. Like, yeah, obviously there was a, a language barrier, but I remember at the end of the Kenta seminar, like nobody had any questions, and I was like, "Hey, can you teach me how to kick?" And we were in the ring for fifteen minutes, and Kenta, and, you know, the American Dragon. Or teaching me how to kick. So those are two pretty good guys to learn uh, to learn kicks from. So again, and those are just things that you'll just you never forget. You know, so, sometimes I don't forget. You know what I what I had for dinner. You know, there's times I have to put my wife's birthday in my phone so I don't forget it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but there's these things in wrestling that I you know happened you know five years ago, ten years ago, twelve years ago, fifteen years ago that I remember it like it was yesterday. Wow. And that's that's just part of the passion that comes in. Matt, what were Oh, oh, go ahead. Matt, Matt you, you say uh, about all these guys in Ring of Honor. Uh, did you have any encounters with Nigel McGinnis at all uh, that you care to share? Oh, yeah. Nigel was great. Nigel taught me. He was doing uh, his finisher. He was doing the lariat. And if you remember, when he was getting towards the main event, he would hit like two or three of them to put the guy away. And I remember I was asking him, I said, you know, why not one? Why are you hitting a couple? And he said, well, and again, I, my wrestling, I don't make it look fake. So what's the what's the realest thing that's out there to pro wrestling? UFC, right? I'm a huge UFC MMA, MMA fan, pride, you know, pancreas, the whole nine, right? So you're watching a fight and a guy gets rocked with overhand right and, he, and he's, he's wobbly legs. What are the chances he's going to hit the overhand right again? He's going to because it worked. Or same thing in football. Hey, you know, the, the play action pass worked, the, you know, three plays ago. Let's, let's try it again. So Nigel taught me that, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with hitting a move two or three times in a row or hitting it, you know, hitting that move, hit another move, and then another move. And then I would go back and watch all Japan from the 90s, you know, the King's Road style. I'm like, that's a lot of it was just solid throwing forearm after forearm after forearm, roaring forearm, kick out, forearm, 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 another forearm finish. And Kabashi, you know, Lariat, 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 you know, Kawada, you know, Brain Buster. So it's like you go back, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. If you're in a fight and you hit a guy, guy you know with a left you know to the ribs and he's just about ready to go down he kind of gets back up and he's struggling man if you hit him with it again he's probably going to put him away and that's one of the things that uh that nigel taught me um again and i was in the iw mid-south i was in locker room with him um just another super super awesome dude that again you know another learning experience and again i'm so lucky to be picking the brains of Nigel McGinnis, a CM Punk, a Samoa Joe, Alex Shelley, Kenta, you know, American Dragon, you know, all these little things that I've been lucky to pick up over the uh, last 19 years and counting. Well, well, one of my one of my biggest matches I remember of Nigel was him and uh, Brian Danielson, you know, going head to head. That was just some of the most hard hitting uh, those elbows repeatedly. I'm like, man, how? Like, how does someone take that and, like, you know? Yeah, those matches were absolutely timeless. And it's, you know, sometimes it's a shame that people don't remember, you know, Nigel McGuinness because, I mean, he was one of the best. I mean, you put his his stuff at Ring of Honor up against, you know, any era. You know, Flair 89, Steamboat 87, Okada 2016, Masawa 94. And it, it's right up there. It really is. It's it's it just it, it's right up there. And uh, Nigel McGuinness, his stuff, and it, it was really just ahead of his time. 
And um, I know hopefully it's, you know, somebody that the fans, you know, can go back and watch. I mean, again, you can go on YouTube, you can go on, on uh, I think most of this stuff's up on, you know, on, uh, on Honor Club and watch his stuff with, with uh, not only, you know, the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, but his stuff with Samoa Joe, his stuff with Roderick Strong, Austin Aries, Kenta, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Nigel's uh, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, performer, phenomenal teacher, uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. We've talked about, you know, obviously you getting into wrestling and, and all these different experiences you've had with these different promotions. And obviously, you know, CM Punk being a, a, a big role in your career. Let's kind of focus on him for a second. What was it like getting to meet him as an individual first and then obviously getting to sit under the, the learning tree and, and learn under him? And what were some of the things that he passed on to you as far as the tutelage? Learning under uh, Punk? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh First, I mean, just first of all, just a great guy. I remember because it was it was Philly, so I was two hours away, and I couldn't make. I was finishing college, and I couldn't make every training seminar because he was doing. I think maybe three or four a week, and I'm like, I was able to make maybe two, something like that. And I told him, I said, "Look, I, you know, I want to do this. I want to be here, but I have to finish college. If I have to do school again, you know, the Ring of Honor school. If I got to go through another class, and he, you know, he said, well, we'll see how far you 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 progress.'" But he was always great. Always got his book. Got his book done. A, a, a full a sold out Ricky the Dragon Steamboat Weekend Clinic. I remember. I was like, yeah, I saw that. You know, I heard it sold out. And he's like, no, it's not sold out. I made one phone call, and he's like, no, you guys are in. Um, always took the time to uh, to teach us. And a lot of it with him is just make the little things make sense. You know, make the little things make make sense. Obviously, the main thing with him was when we first started was cardio 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 conditioning i mean i think we probably did four or five months i could be wrong before we even touched the ring it was you'd get there you'd stretch you run four or five miles you would do about a thousand squats so i think you would do like a, 10 sets of like a hundred uh you would run all these drills in a warehouse uh you do push-ups sit-ups and you go home you wouldn't even touch the ring and i remember the first time we touched the ring was when samoa joe was there and we would do all these drills we get in the ring for the first time, he'd make us run the ropes, and then he would be like, "Okay, now you're gonna sprawl with Samoa." Like, yeah, after we're already exhausted, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go and kind of almost like chain wrestle and sprawl wrestle with the biggest baddest dude out there. Yeah, <laughs> like thanks. But you learn cardio, man. You Punk would not want his wrestlers out of shape because you're putting you're going out there and you're hey, who are you trained by? CM Punk. You better be good, man. You better be good, and you better have cardio. You better be professional. Uh, you better, you know, keep your mouth shut and your uh, eyes and ears open. So learning under him was just, was was absolutely uh, phenomenal. Just an absolute great guy. And you know, I know over the last seven years, you know, people have a couple of negative things to say about him. I guess that's just the way the world is. But for every one negative story that's out there, I got about ten super awesome stories about him. Because chances are the the fans out there that that have a negative story about him didn't spend the time with him that I did. So. No, I would agree with you completely. It almost sounds like the old stories we would hear about Ole Anderson and the way he would run his training camps. And obviously up in Minnesota and Vern Gagne and whatnot, it was literally, Burnt, yeah. yes, calisthenics, 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 cardio, running around and literally um, wheelbarrows and all this other kind of stuff before you ever even saw a ring. And then obviously they would throw you in the ring when you're completely blown up, stretch you out and kind of find out the weeding process of who really wanted to be there during your time. I, I wish the way it, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say, I wish, I wish it was like that now. Cause I go to some of these indie shows, man. It's just like, I, I don't say anything because I'm not a negative person. I know there's, you know, the people out there that they're, you know, this is their dream, but I look at some people I'm like, man, they wouldn't last an hour, an hour at the ring of honor dojo. I wish, you know, punk was old school. He gave his thing was he, he was really good friends with Rocky Romero who was training at the New Japan Dojo, and he was, I'm sure he was getting tips from him, but his thing was, I want you guys to be trained Japanese Dojo style. And we were, and we were. Man, we paid our dues, I right? And it's so interesting, we're seeing Rocky Romero now in AEW, obviously out there as well with best friends and uh, Chris Statlander and Orange Cassidy. And it, it's so neat to be able to see some of this crossover here that the Forbidden Door, that they're often referring to now, is being open to people being able to come in and different promotions to be able to have talent going back and forth. Um, let me, let me kind of segue into this because it's something that really important that you mentioned before 
about people not being able to last going through the Ring of Honor dojo. What do you think is the biggest thing that's lacking now with some of the people? And we're not we're not saying everybody, but a lot of the people who graduate from some of these wrestling camps. What would you say if you had to put your finger on one thing? Man, they really are not hitting on this the way they should. They got to train old school. They got to train old school and have more respect for the business. There's so many wrestling schools that are opened up where it's like the person that training doesn't even really know how to wrestle themselves. It's just like you need to be trained by somebody that knows what they're doing or has the credentials. That's like, hey, I have, you know, X, Y, Z of so many people, you know, uh, that's out there. Because now it's just like, hey, let me just take your thirty five hundred dollars or four grand. I, I don't care that, you know, what you guys do or how shape you're in. But there was a, there was a show that I was on with uh, my tag partner, Andy Hedder, maybe about a year and a half ago. And H.G. Uh, Lowe came up to us and he's like. He goes, I can already, and I've, I've been obviously know him from Ring of Honor, um, but he came up to us and he goes, I can, he goes, I, he goes, he pointed at me and he goes, Matt, I know who you are, but I already know you guys are the two best workers in this locker room. He's like, cause you guys are in shape. He goes, there's only, there, there's only two people in this entire locker room that have these three things in shape, tan and have professional gear. And we got done with our match. He's like, yeah, he's, I didn't even need to see it. And he's like, he goes, I, Matt, I obviously know who you are. He goes, I didn't even need to see it. And the, you think about it and you, you look around a locker room and obviously there's exceptions to the rule. But it's just like nobody takes this stuff seriously. Nobody. And I, I can't stand it when people are like, I don't have time to go to the gym. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If that's important to you, there's no reason why you can't be working out three, three and a half hours. At least work out at home. Like, if it's that important to you, like, I can't stand it when people are like, oh, you know, hey, Matt, what do I need to do to get to the next level? I'll do anything. I'm like, you can't do it. Even look like you can run the ropes. Like, they, they need to take it seriously. Like people don't take it, and that's what wrestling camps are, are lacking. They need to be trained like that. They need they need trainers that are serious that are going to hey, we're going to do three or four months of uh, or have a have a tryout. We had a tryout at Ring of Honor. We had a tryout at Ring of Honor. Punk did not want anybody there that he didn't think was going to make it, and he literally sat there with a clipboard and was like, "Who's going to?" He did whether he took ten people or he took two or he took fifty. He he was going to take the people that can make it through his tryout. I think that's what wrestling schools need to do first is, hey, we're going to have a tryout. Let's see if you can do 200 squats. Let's see if you can do 100 push-ups. Let's see if you can run five or six miles before you even even come close to even stepping in you know, this dojo or this wrestling school. And I think that's that's what's lacking right now is people just don't take you know, it 100% seriously. There's a lot of trainers that are just – it's a cash grab. It's a cash grab. Let me you know, make a couple grand because this this person wants to wrestle – and uh, I'm not going to teach them the right way. They're not going to take it seriously. They're not going to take their diet seriously. They're not going to take their training seriously. And to me, that's what's uh, that's what that's what uh, is 100% is lacking. People just aren't aren't in shape. Let me ask you this question before we get to the uh, the big one, the, the the main event question. Who are some people off the top of your head that are not currently trainers or not currently with a promotion that you could just say, you know what? If I were to open a training school, I would hire boom, 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 and boom to be my trainers. Anybody come off the, the top of your head immediately of who you would want in there working with them? Uh, I would take Shane Hagedorn just because he was in the with me in the Ring of Honor Dojo. And he's working for, I mean, obviously no one's going to beat WWE. Say what you want about their product. They're the biggest, but the best wrestling promotion in two years. Um, so I would take him um, – talking about people that I just know uh, I take you know my tag partner Andy Hedder I mean that guy's just an absolute wealth of knowledge and he's super positive you know he's the type of guy that I think he could teach you wouldn't browbeat you wouldn't talk down to you he makes wrestling uh, super fun uh, yeah, if, maybe I, I'd probably take a Draven Blaze you know as a just because he's been around you know everything and he's in he's insane he that guy just does insane high flying stuff and that's you know something that I, I probably couldn't take and then uh, probably uh, to Tony Deppen just as well because he you know started in the smaller Pennsylvania Indies and he's like you know one of the top independent workers as well so those are probably the guys that I would take that I know on a, a personal and professional level six degrees of Kevin Bacon my friend we are all somehow connected with all those individuals and it's so cool um we, we love Andy Hedder uh love Tony Deppen as well um so there's so much more meat on the bone. I feel like a part two is definitely something that we're going to have to do. Is there any chance you would do a part two with us as well? Absolutely. You guys just give me a, give me a time and I, I will make sure that my schedule is clear. If my schedule is not clear, we'll, uh, we'll make it work. 
All right, so you've taken the SATs before. You've taken the ACTs before. I'm sure you've taken other standardized tests. Well, you know what? You're going to now have to use your recall memory and take all of that and somehow bring that back. The Scantron test, you know, the one that has a little green bubbles you got to fill in. Get your number two pencil ready because this, my friend, is the question of all questions. And at this point in time, I'm going to turn it over to the RIT. He's going to ask you a question, and I can't wait to hear your answer. Well, Matt, we're going to go back and hop in our hot tub time machine. We're going back to any match in wrestling history. You're going to take somebody out of a match and put Matt Turner in that match. What match is it and why? What match? I'm sorry, my my connection, but any match that I could... Uh, watch. Any match. Any match in wrestling history, you're taking somebody out and putting you in the match. What match I'm is taking, it and why? I'm taking some I'm taking somebody's place in the match. Yeah. Yep. You're saying hit the bricks, kid. I'm going in next. Oh, geez. See, my all-time favorite match, the match again, kind of making this full circle. Uh the match that made me think I could be a pro wrestler was Michaels and Hart at WrestleMania 12 because you're main eventing two guys that aren't that aren't like six six, so maybe I'm. But who who do I bump off? Can I can I make it a three way, or I I have to take, say t- tell somebody to take out take a hike. We've never had somebody say, "Can I get added to it?" So Look at we'll, that. We'll, Look we'll at accept. That. <laughs> we'll accept a three way dance. Who's taking okay. your finisher? Then I'll I'll, t- I'll throw another one out there. I would uh, the t- tag league ninety four finals. I'm telling Masawa Kabashi. See you, boys. Me and Andy had we're wrestling the Holy Demon Army. Oh my God, we are my going to tell An- Andy this. <clears throat> and Andy's a close personal friend of the show and the Ritz as well, and and we're going to let him know because how cool. You know what we should do, Rit? We need to book both of them on here. But hey, Andy Header was our first ever guest on Future Stars Now, so hey, we, maybe we we, we, we actually we're, have. We're, uh, I, God, I'm sorry. I say like, we're, we're hooking up. We'll get both of you on at the same time. I didn't even mean to do this. I'm just saying because that's the match I would love to have. We actually have a T-shirt out that our buddy Alex Sanchez, who works for uh, publication, there's actually a T-shirt where he uh, it's basically the dream match where it's blue and gold versus the Holy Demon Army. We got to get those T-shirts. Rit, get on this. We got to get these we, T-shirts. I'm, I, I'm running a Black Friday sale. I will uh, – I'll shoot you guys over the picture. Uh, well, I'll, I'll send you a picture as soon as we get off it. And uh, you guys let me know what size. I'll make sure uh, if I, you know, if I don't have the size, I'll order them. But yeah, he did it. You'll see. It's in Japanese style. It's you know me and Header and our Captain awesome. Marvel gear versus you know obviously Kawada and Talway, who are two of the two of the two best. But I get asked that quite a bit. If you can do have a match with anybody at any time, who do you take? You know, it, it, obviously it's tough when you have Okada sixteen, Flair eighty nine, Steamboat eighty seven. But really, I have as much you know. I have fun as a singles wrestler. My the funnest I have is when I'm teaming with Header. And my favorite tag team to watch of all time is the Holy Demon Army. So it would probably be a uh, 94 tag fi- uh, World Tag League Finals. Blue and gold hey. is Holy Demon Army. Uh, I've always said there ain't nobody better than Andy fucking Header. <laughs> Not really, man. He's the best. Man. Matt, this has been so much fun. And like I said, there's so much meat still left on the bone. And, and you tell incredible stories. And you're so genuine. And, and I was going to say this earlier, but you're like – the Brett Favre of this. It's just, you're just so happy. It's just like every moment you're describing is like a first time moment again. You've never lost that, that, that excitement for it. And I think that's so exciting and it's so refreshing to see that positivity as well. I think a lot of people can get jaded in this industry and you know this, but you know what, to love it as much as it is to, for you to be able to talk about it as positively and talk so highly of all these people that have had Big aspects in your career. I think it's awesome. It has been so much fun talking to you. The last thing I have to ask you to do is go ahead and do all of your plugs. Where can people find your merchandise, social media, some upcoming shows? The floor is yours. Yeah, guys, um, just if you want to reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter, just search uh, Matt Turner OF. You know, you'll see me there. Uh, pro Wrestling Tees. We have a Pro Wrestling Tees store. It's blue and gold. But, uh, you know, obviously if you want to buy direct from me, I literally, you can see this, this door right behind me. Literally, you open it up. It's to my man cave with uh, my comic room and a whole and all my wrestling gear and merchandise as well. So hit me up there if you guys want some. Again, I'm going to be running a Black Friday sale 
Um, you know, my thing for the merchandise, it's really not to get rich because you know, we don't get enough wrestling to get rich, but it's just like, Hey, it's, it's, it's awesome. When I see somebody wearing my t-shirt, you can't put a price on that again, going back to the fans. So uh, by all means, guys hit me up. Any questions that the fans have, you want to talk about, you know, pro wrestling, comic books, rock and roll, you know, what's it like to be a dad, a husband, you know, uh, what supplements to take? I work for uh, 5% Nutrition. You go to 5percentnutrition.com. You got a whole bunch of good stuff there. Coupon code, type in M Turner. You save yourself a 15%, uh, you know, right off the rip. So, um, nice. guys, I can't thank you enough. Yep. I, I, I appreciate this. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. So, and I'm excited for, uh, for part two. We loved it, Matt. Best of uh, luck with everything. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. And you know what? Have a great holidays, my friend. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Take Stay care. safe. Thank Stay, you. Stay positive. Ritster, man, that was so much fun. Like, there's these, there's convert. Like, we do interviews, right? But then it really turns into a conversation, and it, and I think that's when it becomes really fun. When it becomes a conversation, and you get to know somebody, and you get to know somebody not only from what they've done in their career, and he's done a lot. I mean, and he doesn't brag at all, but he could easily brag about a lot of things he's done. And he's, he's successful, but he's humble in the same breath, and he's easy to talk to. And that was so much fun. Guys, if you enjoyed it, and I know you did, so I don't even have to ask you the question, we're going to hook it up with a part two as well. By all means, use the promo codes. We're going to make sure we pass those along as well. We'll pass along all of the information as well to go ahead and get your merchandise, where to follow him on social media. And uh, this was a great episode. Of future stars now ritster any final comments hey i hope you guys all enjoyed it because man the, the stories he could tell he should have his own podcast well that's the thing why does this man not has a have his own show well, you know well, he maybe. and andy header together oh my gosh oh my freeland you you got jerry and mikey maybe i could get turner and header Oh my gosh, my phone's going off. It's a 203 area code. Who's 203? Oh, I don't know. But guys, we got to go. Thanks for uh, tuning in to Future Stars Now. Remember, watch FRM Pod every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Call to Beardo every Thursday night at 8. And of course, us every Friday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. He is Mike Freeland. I'm the Rit. See you next Tuesday on Front Row Material. The world of MLW Radio never stops.